0: Pints with Jack, Season 2, Episode 15. The Great Divorce, Chapter
1: 10, The Controlling Ghost. Friends, welcome to the Pints with
0: Jack weekly podcast, where David and I have the distinct privilege of enjoying a drink together, unpacking the writings of C.S. Lewis, and discovering the truth and beauty of Christianity. We are currently in Season 2, in unlocking the treasures hidden within our favorite C.S. Lewis work, The Great Divorce. My name is Matt, and I'm joined by my dear friend David, in person, reunited, in the flesh, for the first time in six months.
1: We got the band back together.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to be here.
1: Yep, we have Matt back in San Diego for an entire week. Yes. We have already got to drink whiskey together.
0: Oh, it was fantastic. Well, old-fashioned, and it was lovely.
1: Well, for our drink today, we have been sponsored by Chris. Chris and Teresa just got engaged, and Chris hey. has been promising for an age that he was going to give us some of his home brew. So he is sponsoring today's episode. And well, congratulations, we... first of all. Well, I want you to toast them in a moment. Okay. Uh, but first, I want to read the description of what we're going to be drinking. Okay. We are drinking Anytime Amber Ale, because it's a beer that's good to drink anytime. <laughs> Brewed on Chris Brimer's back porch in Carlsbad, California, its rich malt profile is complemented by a mellow and earthy hop character.
0: Wait, the Chris that gave it to us, he brewed this?
1: Yeah. That's so cool. such a manly thing to brew your own beer. I
0: feel yeah. like saying congratulations not only on engagement, but more importantly that you were able to brew your own beer. He is
1: just crushing it in every which he way. He is. So, Chris, cheers to you.
0: And then Chris and Teresa,
1: cheers to you. May you have a very happy life together, and may you produce many things just as excellent as this beer. <laughs> cheers. Hmm. Cheers.
0: I actually don't usually like amber ale. I like this.
1: Mm, malty. Oh, I like yeah. Uh And also, cheers to Casey and Nick. They should be giving birth to their first child today.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, I hope not, because I'm meeting for coffee with them tomorrow.
1: <laughs> okay, so... Hold on a little longer, but cheers.
0: <laughs> cheers. No one knows who that is. They're listeners, by the way.
1: And they were also at the last C.S. Lewis book club that we ran.
0: But most importantly, David, what's the quote of the week?
1: So the quote of the week comes from the controlling ghost. At the end of her little diatribe, she says, I did my duty to the very end. How could I help it if you had a nervous breakdown in the end? My conscience is clear. I've done my duty by him. If ever a woman has,
0: so we have another ghost with duty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, David is thirty-nine years old and still laughs at duty. <laughs> actually, I totally forgot that that Teresa pointed out last night that
1: Teresa didn't, Marie or
0: Marie. Did. Marie pointed out last night that you always laugh at duty, and I didn't actually mean that when I brought that up.
1: Uh, for listeners, Marie is my girlfriend. Yes. Not, I, just, not just a random person who was I at had, dinner with us.
0: I had the pleasure to have dinner with David and his girlfriend last night.
1: But on to business. Did you watch this week's video of The Great Divorce Project? Oh my goodness, you're <laughs> laughing. You didn't do it. <laughs>
0: no. And, and I've been pretty much on vacation the last four days, so I can't claim time or anything. I've sat around since I've been in San Diego. Uh, I took off yesterday. Because I had, I had, I'd mentioned this on one of the podcasts, like the busiest month of my life with work. And once I got here, I finished it and I said, I'm not working for five days. And so I had all the confirmation stuff that brought me in here. And so yesterday I just, where I'm staying, watched Captain America,
1: watched Thor, but, but never watched The Great Divorce Project. you didn't have time for an eight minute video. Okay. <laughs> uh, could any listener, please just tweet me and tell me that you watched the video and you enjoyed it. It'll be in the show notes and David, on Twitter.
0: This statement will make more sense, but David quote unquote needs some love
1: right now. I, I do. I do. It's important. He needs
0: me. a little bit of affirmation.
1: Uh, speaking of other videos, all of our video series is now up on IGTV. Mm. So if you go to our Instagram account, we have all 13 videos there and people have been watching them and liking them and commenting on them. And please do the same. Yeah. But speaking of cool theology... Uh, I went and bought the C.S. Lewis goes to heaven book by David Clark. Absolutely love it. I wish I had this book at the beginning of this season. I'm pretty sure Matt's going to get it as well, and I'm and I'm definitely going to try and get this author onto the podcast before the end of the season.
0: Mine's already waiting for me back in New York. I ordered it the second you told me about it. it took two days. I wish I would have had it today, since I'm leading this episode. That would have helped.
1: You could have bought it on Kindle, but
0: you're right. Give me a leg up. I'm so anti Kindle. <laughs>
1: We also had, I think, probably my favorite iTunes review to date. This is beautifully written.
0: Oh man, this was only a couple weeks ago.
1: Yeah, the user who wrote this had the username Philologist in Training.
0: Great username.
1: <laughs> and it says this C.S. Lewis undeniably transformed faith, literature, and the lives of those blessed enough to know him. It has been 56 years since he embarked on the final journey into eternal life, and he is still changing lives, my own included. The pervading and persistent appreciation in the Christian community for Jack's writings is evidence that his timeless words strike a chord of truth in the hearts of Protestants and Catholics alike. While reading and ruminating on The Great Divorce, or Mere Christianity by oneself, can certainly be beautiful and fulfilling, why should you go it alone?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great question.
1: Matt and David will walk you through Jack's words, help to unravel the stickier and more difficult concepts, and encourage you to savor them in a way that will continue to lead you further up and further in. Happy listening. Slow clap. I would like to toast philologist in training. Thank you, sir or madam, for those beautiful words. Mm, Cheers. That should be worthy enough to invite that
0: individual as a celebrity guest appearance.
1: Or at the very least encourage them to write more reviews under different usernames. And we actually also got a shout out from Joy Clarkson on Twitter this week as well. So thank you very much, Joy. Who's that? Uh, she has her own podcast. I've mentioned it before. It's called Speaking with Joy.
0: I know. I was really asking for it. She
1: did a series. Of course she did. <laughs> she did a series on The Great Divorce last summer.
0: Oh, uh, well, I didn't know that.
1: Mm. It's been in the show notes, which of course you read, Matt.
0: No, nah, I haven't read a single one. Although you pointed out to me, apparently David has put out a post looking for a new podcast host, co-host.
1: Well, I gave you an opportunity to redeem yourself today by watching the video, and you didn't do it. So if you check the show notes, I'm going to be asking again if anybody wants to be my new (laughs) co-host. He's taking applications. The bar is very low. All you have to do is occasionally watch a five-minute video that I send you.
0: And affirm David constantly on the podcast.
1: That's absolutely necessary. I do that well. You do. But to be fair, it's kind of easy. I give you a lot to affirm.
0: Oh my goodness. All right, let's jump into the chapter.
1: Indeed. <laughs> Do you want to give us a uh, bit of a recap as to where we got to last time?
0: Yes. Well, last week's chapter was a pivotal chapter. Mm-hmm. Da- <laughs> David C.S. Lewis met George McDonald, his idol. McDonald unpacks a lot of what's happening in the book with the different ghosts. And so I would rather just read a couple quotes that pretty much summarize the whole thing. There is always something they insist on keeping, even at the price of misery. That's a huge part of every chapter that we've been seeing thus far. People that can't let something go. They can't 100% die to themselves and accept God's will. And we got the most famous quote of all that I argued of C.S. Lewis as well. It was one that David picked out. And it's, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. That pretty much is what we learned last chapter. And then we got to see the grumbler and the artist, two more examples of people who were pretty much living these out in their own ways. The artist couldn't let go of his not being known, his not being recognized. And that's what he chose at the price of misery instead of heaven. And the grumbler was a person who just couldn't let go of grumbling.
1: Let's now get on to the 150-word summary of today's chapter. Cue that music! Lewis overhears a conversation between a ghost and a female spirit named Hilda. The ghost begins by saying that she would not dream of staying in heaven if she were expected to meet Robert, her husband and Hilda's brother. She then begins to retell the story of her life with Robert and her attempts to control him. In the end, Robert has a nervous breakdown. The ghost reconsiders and says that she'll meet Robert if she can take charge of him again. When Hilda tells her that this isn't possible, she becomes desperate, saying, I must have someone to to do things to. I hate you. How can I pay him out if you won't let me have him? Lewis then says, The ghost, which had towered up like a dying candle flame, snapped suddenly. And then there was no ghost to be seen.
0: Well, that was a very good summary. And so you saved me the work of having to do any sort of introduction on this. And so as you said, you have this ghost talking to the spirit Hilda. And ultimately the ghost, she controlled her husband, as we'll see, for her own selfish desires. But she masked it in this form of selflessness. We're going to see as we unpack in this chapter. And she she wants to make it seem like her husband needed her. Mm-hmm. Like he wouldn't be who he was if it wasn't for her. And that but, she
1: did nothing but help him.
0: Nothing but help him. Her duty. <laughs> But as we'll find out, she needed her husband all along. And at the end of this, I'm excited to get your thoughts on this as well, because you and I both love the book, The Four Loves, and this really connects to that quite a bit Mm -hmm. into some of the topics in there. So listeners, wait for us to bring this full circle with The Four Loves. And I'm hoping as I was reading this, did you feel, did you worry at all as you were reading this if you fit this category in the slightest?
1: Yes. I am definitely someone who wants other people to be everything that they can be. And that can very easily get into a a controlling mindset. Disregarding what the other person actually wants. Because you know what's best for them.
0: I've never experienced it on this podcast. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, but controlling can be a very dangerous thing, and it tends to be for our own selfish desires, not the other. So as much as it can be easy to write this off, the reason I asked that question in the beginning is, listeners, it can be easy to write this off. and Be like, I'm nothing like that, because he gives a very extreme niche example of it. But when we unpack this, the underlying concepts actually can be quite applicable to most people in smaller ways, I would hope.
1: Now, when they first begin having this conversation, the ghost actually refuses to meet Robert, And she says that she forgives him, but as a Christian. I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) What do you think that meant? Honestly, I think it's a cop-out. I think it means that she forgives him as a Christian insofar as she knows that she should forgive him. Whether or not he actually had anything to be forgiven is another question entirely. But I think she knows that she should forgive him and she will therefore say that she's forgiven him. But has there actually been a conversion of heart? A couple of days ago, I posted an image on Instagram and it was from The Weight of Glory where Lewis says, real forgiveness means looking steadily at the sin, the sin that was left over without any excuse, after all allowances have been made, and seeing it in all its horror, dirt, meanness, and malice, and nevertheless being wholly reconciled to the person who has done it.
0: Yeah, this was not that at all. No. I don't actually know if I would classify this as forgiveness in the slightest.
1: I mean, her, the essential crime, we'll get, we'll get to it in a moment, but the essential sin that she places at his feet is one of ingratitude and selfishness. As we go through, we'll see how valid we actually think that is. Yeah,
0: we can circle back to this and see if we can answer it better after we go through it.
1: But if people would like our thoughts on forgiveness, check out Season 1, Episode 20, because Lewis has an entire chapter in Mere Christianity on this subject.
0: We have a video also titled The Hardest Thing You Ever Do.
1: We do indeed. It's yeah. very good.
0: Yeah. For a good chunk of the remainder of this chapter, we get to hear a litany of all of her selfless acts she's done for Robert. So she starts by pointing out that she encouraged him in his work. He started at probably making $600 a year. And it was her that pushed him. She said, it was I who had to drive him every step of the way. He had not a spark of ambition. It was like trying to lift a sack of coal. At one point, it was pointed out that... She was working more than 13 hours a day. I guess it was insane. Yeah. Then she talks about how she drew him out of himself. The evening, she had to prevent him from coming home, sitting on the couch. She had to make conversation with him. As if maybe it would be better if she became a person that he wanted to have conversation with.
1: Or suspicion he might have been an introvert and needed five minutes every introvert will get that joke
0: <laughs> she points out that she made the pokey little house nice but interestingly in here she says she did that by arranging flowers and i like this subtle comment where she says "And you know i put them on his desk and they got in the way and accidentally knocked one over on his writing but who really cares i cured him of this desire to write this silly book
1: and 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 this is sort of the repeated theme. Yes. She knows, she thinks she knows what's best for him. And at no point, and she even explicitly says this right at the end, don't ask him. (laughs) Don't ask him (laughs) what he would actually like. She wants to impose it. She actually says that she sacrificed her whole life to him. Now, maybe I'm being a little picky here, but I think there's a difference between sacrificing your life to someone and sacrificing your life so oh, I think
0: there's a big difference.
1: She certainly made sacrifices, but I don't think they were for him. They were oriented around him, but ultimately for whatever she wanted. And this actually reminded me of the Screwtape letters, because we're reading this in Book Club at the moment. And Screwtape distinguishes between unselfishness and charity, love. And it says there's actually a significant difference between the two. Because in one, you're just putting up with things... And in the other, you are actively seeking the good of the other. And if you're going to seek the good of the other, sometimes you might actually want to ask them what that might be.
0: Yeah, charity would be a step beyond unselfishness. Yeah. You have to be unselfish to be charitable. Mm -hmm.
1: But But charity goes further than that. Yes. It's not simply enduring. It's seeking someone's blessing. Yes. And the funny thing about unselfishness, and I think it's definitely the case for this woman, unselfishness can become competitive. And thereby become selfish.
0: I shouldn't say this because I'm not married and I don't know. But you hear that sometimes in marriage. The joke is they do these studies and they ask the people who does more of the work for the other person. And it never adds to 100%. -hmm. It's like each say 70% and it comes out to 140% or 150%. Everyone thinks they do more for the other person.
1: And I would also say that... Again, unmarried... But as, I he, as he holds his left hand and
0: puts <laughs> it in front of my face, as if any, every listener can see there's no ring here.
1: <laughs> but I can definitely say that when I find myself getting into the mindset, when I'm comparing who's done more, that relationship is in real danger. Yes. Because it's no longer about charity. It's no longer about me seeking this other person's good. It's about who's been the least selfish.
0: Which we're going to see at the end of this chapter as we bring in the four loves, the role that when love becomes a supernatural love that can be, I want to say augmented by God's grace, mm-hmm. brings it to the point that you're describing. But if it doesn't, it can easily degradate into this more self-centered love.
1: I have a question for you though. Okay. Do you think this woman loved him when they got married? Or, no. or, or maybe I'll, I'll ask a slightly nicer question because I'm implying that she doesn't love him now. Do you think things changed?
0: No, because of the statement that she made. Actually, I'm going to say yes and no. <laughs> Here's why. I'm not trying to be political here. No, in the sense that remember she made a statement where she said in the beginning, I was a lady before I married him. Mm-hmm. So she does make a comment that suggests that she's bringing herself that this has been like this from the very beginning. And
1: and, and she lowered herself to marry him. Yes.
0: That's, that's what I got from that.
1: Yeah. But with, rather, again, it's rather than saying something positive, he was a man who deeply loved me. He was a man who really cared for me. Yes. It was like, I loved myself to him. I was unselfish.
0: But what I, the reason I said yes and no, though, is at the same time, what you see at the very end when she says, I want Robert, like I need him. It's a form of love. It's just a distorted love, as we're going to talk about later. Mm. So this whole controlling is out of a fear of losing his love, And so because of that, usually when you're afraid of losing someone's love, that's because you do love the person.
1: Or you at least value it in some measure. Yes, you
0: value it in some measure. And probably, yes, not the fullness of divine love or or the fullness of a Christian love towards a husband and a wife, but some form of love It's on the spectrum. And she doesn't want to lose it. She's Mm -hmm. afraid of it.
1: Okay, so she talks about her lowering herself to marry him in the first place. (laughs) I like that. He had a low salary, but she soon saw to that. Yep.
0: He had friends, old friends that she couldn't stand. But rather than push them away, her tactics, and she even says, if you're a woman that has wit to yourself, here's how she does it. she You can tell she's jealous of it, because I'll, I'll, here's one sentence that gives a lot away. She goes, just slink off by himself every now and then to see what he called his old friends and leave me to amuse myself. She was jealous of the friends. Again, the friends were taking his love away from her. Mm. So what does she do in her wisdom and her cunning wits. wits. She invites them over and starts having them hang out at their house. But it ultimately pushes them away because she's trying to refine them. She's controlling them in the way she controls a husband. Well, they're not attached to her by a ring and so therefore she subtly, within a year, it says they're no longer his friends. So she pushes them away and then she gets quote-unquote useful friends.
1: Mm. I-, I wonder if she had always regarded him as a project. <laughs> a fixer upper, so to speak. <laughs> I, I wasn't I wanna
0: make sure we stay here. And I'll let you do the stating of this, but I'm gonna open it up for this. We don't want to come across to some stereotype that like it's a woman that always wants to fix up a man. It's mm-hmm. easy to come in that and and make it seem like this sexist thing of the woman always trying to fix the man and I it's... can
1: I can actually sort this out straight away. Okay, good. Matt, have you ever dated someone who had a friend that you tried to subtly push them away from? Oh yeah. I haven't.
0: Uh, you should see David's face right now. <laughs> we are in person.
1: I'm going to need a refill of this whiskey. Oh my goodness, you finished it already. Right. Okay,
0: this is, this is how much you put in it. This is like a third of a glass. God,
1: Dave, you're an alcoholic. Can. I know. Uh, one thing I want to bring up here, because if any of you are in relationships and you have to talk about your feelings at a regular basis, uh, you'll of no doubt have come across the Love Languages book.
0: That's a great book.
1: It is really good. What do you think their respective love languages are?
0: Well, hers is obviously words of affirmation and acts of service. She needs to be affirmed by him. She wants to get his gratitude, his thank you, his affirmation. And she's trying to express her love through acts of service.
1: Not quality time? Because she definitely resented the friends taking his time away from her.
0: Okay, but what would that replace? Because that's definitely where I see that you're right. There's no gift giving in here, and there's no uh, physical touch in here. So yeah, I can see that, but which one would it replace, would you say? You know, she doesn't affirm him ever, so maybe it would be the affirmation. As much as she wants it, she doesn't give it ever. Mm-hmm. So it could be just quality time and active service.
1: Yeah, that's, that's true. What about his? What do you think his love languages are?
0: <laughs> well, we're hearing this from a very biased perspective, so I don't think she paints a picture of him that's even able for us to do that. He doesn't seem quality time. He doesn't seem acts of service. He doesn't... Well, you know what? He works 13 hours a day for her. So he actually subtly was doing acts of service for her.
1: Mm-hmm. And know. so there's a chance I think he probably receives in a similar kind of way. But also, I would... I don't, I'm actually not sure about the quality time. I mean... Did he came always on the couch? Yes, but you can still have quality time on the couch. I think his wife was just expecting him to do lots of other things and make lots yeah. of small talk. And maybe he just wanted to sit there and hold her hand. Maybe do a little bit of writing while she was arranging flowers at, a, at another table <laughs> away from his papers.
0: It could be. It's hard for us to tell just because the fact that she does not paint a nice picture of him. Mm. And it's hard to tell. He doesn't, I don't get the sense he loves her. So it's, you don't... I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> no, because he does a lot of things for her. He clearly wants her to be happy. And he's even willing to give up some of his own dreams, such as writing a book for hmm. his wife that's true
0: or he's just got no backbone that is another option. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with yours yours is a little bit nicer she does say though this goes back to your question earlier she says there had been a time when he took an interest in all sorts of things and had been quite ready to make friends so it does go to show before this that he was a independent he did have a backbone so clearly i'm wrong with that backbone statement he did have that at some point he made friends he took charge he lived his own life but we see that because of her she pretty much destroyed his identity and so he
1: lost all of that he certainly seems to lose some of his joie de vivre i I think that's nice word thank you that there definitely was more of a curiosity and life to him that seems to have been slowly worn down yeah And you could imagine that that's due to long hours at the office, taking on all of that extra work.
0: 13 hours a day would do that to anyone.
1: Getting home, not having dinner and just going straight out and driving for hours to go and find a new house. Yeah. I get the suspicion that there would have been lots of things that the honey-do list might have been quite long.
0: Yeah. What did you think of this sentence, though? Holy cow. She says, The younger men who came to the house... It wasn't my fault if they liked me better than my old bear of a husband. Used to laugh at him.
1: For me, that's the that's the death toll of this marriage. I think the worst thing in any relationship, and especially a marriage, is when you talk trash about your spouse.
0: Oh yes. Absolutely never do that. It's over at that point.
1: Be it to your family or your friends. There's a difference between talking through issues that you're having. Mm-hmm. And mocking that other person. And that's clearly what she was doing. Old bear of a husband. Mm-hmm. Allowed other
0: humans to laugh at her husband.
1: I remember... And not only humans, younger men, who she's
0: also hinting at. She's enjoying their flirtation.
1: Probably flirting, yeah. Yes. I remember when my faith really became alive, and it was actually... I was part of a Protestant small group. And that was the first time I think I ever heard a group of men rave about their wives
0: in a beautiful way yeah
1: it was amazing i didn't know such a thing could happen Mm. this guy saying Oh, my wife had a whole lot of issues with one of the children this week she had to be up a whole lot Mm. she was doing great she's amazing i can't believe that i get to be married to her i don't think that's a
0: coincidence either so i went to when i first listeners when i first came out to san diego on my my spiritual journey i went to a non-denominational church for about six months and they did an incredible job. It was called C3 San Diego. The pastor did a wonderful job preaching about over and over this idea of sow words of life into people. Mm-hmm. And the congregation really did that well. When they talked of their friends, when they talked of their spouses, when they talked of their parents, they saw the good, they saw the beauty, and they genuinely tried to sow words of life into them as they spoke about them, as they spoke to them. I really took that away. And I took that to heart because I'm like, that's That's incredible. Most often, we're cutting people down. We're gossiping. Negativity. It says in Philippians, and I think you've done something in Philippians, so you might know the verse, but it says something about, like, see the great and the goodness or something in everything.
1: All that is good. All that is true. All that is beautiful. Think on these things.
0: Yes, that's what it is. I always can trust you to pull that out.
1: (laughs) When I heard those men raving about their wives, I didn't know such a thing could exist. Oh,
0: that's awesome.
1: But the flip side of it, when you're trash talking, the person that you've committed your life to that you are one with for better, for worse for rich for poorer that's just pouring poison into a relationship
0: in your own heart yeah that's why it says in scripture it's more important what comes out of your heart out Mm. of your mouth i think this connects to the concept that we've talked about a lot in c.s lewis it's somewhat that fake it till you make it it's not that Every moment in time, you feel these rosy thoughts. But if you commit to yourself to always speaking positively, you actually find that you think more positively. Mm -hmm. I mean, psychology has shown that. So it's also a very practical thing to do. It's a beautiful thing. It's a practical thing. It's the right
1: thing to do. And what team that's infighting or talking bad about the other members, what team's going to perform?
0: Yeah, as Jesus says, when you. Cause him is he, is he from Jezebel or something when a house is turned against itself? Beelzebub.
1: Beelzebub. And he says a house divided against itself cannot stand.
0: There you go. Bam.
1: What did you think about the comment when she said, for by this time your wonderful Robert was turning into the sort of man who cares about nothing but food?
0: I don't remember what I came into. I,
1: I thought a couple of things. I thought he might be a comfort eater. <laughs> you
0: know what? Okay, now I have some thoughts. I'm going to big back up this. So this was... Have you ever heard of the Six Human Needs by Tony Robbins?
1: I mean, not no. by
0: him, but he's the one that more popularizes
1: it. The the, the, pyra- the pyramid? Is that it's what you're actually just
0: six basic needs. I wouldn't call it a pyramid, but we all people usually need about two of them. Love and connection is one. Certainty is another. Uncertainty is another. Uh, a contribution. Growth. And Matt doesn't remember the sixth one, but that's not the point. I got the most important ones. So if you're someone who needs certainty, which would be comfort... And you're someone that needs love and connection. And you're not getting that in some way. You will seek it in another way. So let's say you're someone who needs certainty and your marriage is in a very uncertain state. You will turn to food sometimes because that gives you comfort and certainty. You know what? If I eat this unhealthy food, it's going to comfort me. and I that's, will
1: feel good. Yes. I will feel
0: good. TV shows, actually. If you're the type of person that constantly goes back to... I, I can get caught in this trap. Let's say you watch Friends over and over, or How I you Met Your Mother over and over, or some of these TV shows you rewatch over and over. That's because you're actually seeking the certainty in that aspect of your life because you're not getting in other aspects. You know what it's going to be like. You know it's going to be good. You know it's going to be true. So that's what he. You, I think you might be spot on.
1: I'm really projecting because I'm definitely a comfort eater. When I'm so you like some certainty in your life. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. When I when I'm not happy, I, I want to have that lovely feeling of eating food. Yeah. So I thought it was probably that. It's either that or because he just kept being denied food because of his wife's projects. <laughs> I think
0: it's the first one, but that latter that one's kind of funny. <laughs> He's being denied food.
1: <laughs> I also thought it was telling the fact that the house that they bought, she says it was a bit out of their means. They couldn't quite afford it. And it did beg the question, why get a bigger house? Because children aren't mentioned at any point. No. Is it simply for the status? Is it Because she, want, she says that she, when they got a bigger house, they got to entertain properly. Yes. Was it for the purposes of that? I think probably, I think those yes. are related. Mm.
0: Entertaining properly gives you status. Mm-hmm. Or in your words, status. Yes.
1: And when you have a house of sufficient status, then you can entertain properly.
0: Yes. Yeah, everything is about her. We've already mentioned this in the beginning. But nothing she does is really for him.
1: She even mentions, uh, naturally, I had to dress well. Which is code for, I went out and spent a lot of money on clothes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. This comes near the end and we're starting to realize her true motives for all of this. We saw in the beginning that she thought she had to forgive him and it was hard for her even to meet him. Then notice at the end, she starts to switch to an offer. She goes, you know what? I will meet Robert, but only if I can take charge again. So she wants control over him. But then she actually doesn't stop there. She, she shows her hand further. She's in a weak bargaining position. She's not a good negotiator. Mm-hmm. She goes, ultimately, she says, I need him. She needs Robert. And, and as you pointed out, she said, don't consult him. I'm so miserable. I must have someone to do things to. She goes, no one minds me one bit. And she's referring to the gray town. Mm-hmm. And so she wants to be minded. She wants to be needed. She wants to be loved.
1: And why does nobody mind her in hell in the gray town? that Latin phrase which you couldn't remember last night when we were drinking Old Fashions.
0: In cavatis in se.
1: Very good. Well done. <laughs> in hell, they are all souls turned in on themselves. Of course they don't care about anybody else.
0: There's a lot here about the difference between heaven and hell. She's not needed. Everyone's turned within their self. Heaven, it's about being completely dependent on God, actually. It's about going from saying... Not only am I not needed by God, I completely need him. Like notice this 180 switch that she needs. So this is a bit of a different way than saying, rather than God says to you, thy will be done, you say to God, thy will be done. This is about her going from, I want to be needed to, I need someone else. And that someone else is God. Like that's the switch she needs to do here. And we mentioned this at the beginning And this is a book that Dave and I are looking forward to doing sometime in the future. We won't dangle at which point, because we've got plenty before this. 2021, Yeah, 2021. We're not going to pull an Elon Musk where we have overly ambitious projections. But in the book, The Four Loves, before actually going through his four loves of affection, friendship, eros, and charity, he talks about need love versus gift love. And neither of these are bad. Some, you might be thinking when I say need love, that's a bad thing, and we're supposed to be doing gift love. No, not at all. We actually were created for need love because we need God. That's not a bad thing. And in the beginning of our time as an infant, we need some other people. Needing people is not a bad thing. And gift love, of course, is not a bad thing. But both of these can be distorted. Mm-hmm. That's a big theme in that book. For example, need love in the right ordering is, I need God for forgiveness. I need God for grace. I need God to be transformed into the divine life. I need, need, need him.
1: And also, I need other people. Yeah, on that journey. Yeah. An infant needs its mother. A father needs his children. These are good things.
0: And we need, we know this, we always say this, we need to be loved and to love. We need to be known and to know other people. Like that's a huge part of the human condition. The issue though is when God's not a part of that need, no human can fill that fully. And so the need love needs to be filled by God. But if it's not, you see what she had happen. Mm -hmm. Like that's what happens. You start needing other people completely. And guess what? They're not going to fulfill it. This guy, Robert, could never have done anything right in her book. Yeah. It would never have worked. No matter what she did, no matter who he became, it would never have satisfied what she really needed was God's love. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you think about it, we talked about this. She was trying to control him so she didn't lose his love. She's searching for God's love there. He's the only one where, guess what? She won't lose God's love. He will always be there. And not only will she lose it, it'll be infinitely more than anything she's expecting.
1: She's trying to get something from her husband that her husband can never give her. Yes, I think one of the lessons of this chapter is rightly ordered loves.
0: Mm, Very Augustine theme.
1: Mm -hmm. And also from Augustine that when those loves are not rightly ordered, they become distorted. Yes. Marriage is a good and beautiful thing, but it is not a replacement for a relationship with God. A good husband, a good wife, wonderful things. But again, not a replacement for the love of God.
0: I witnessed it even with some of my guy friends in dating. They expect a girl to fulfill some certain need. and mm-hmm. Essentially, for guys, the danger is validation. Guys seek validation in women all the time. They want the more attractive one because it validates them as a person. Actually, John Eldridge writes about that. He has this mm-hmm. chapter where he goes, if you're a guy and you walk into a party and you see this really attractive blonde over across the side of the room.
1: Or brunette. <laughs> he some, uses some, blonde. Of, some, some of us like brunettes. <same>.
0: And and you say, I have to have her. He goes, what you need to do is go in a cabin and figure yourself out for a bit because clearly you're, you're struggling with some identity issues and you're trying to fulfill that hole and that need with this girl, his validation. But what you're really searching for is God. He's the only person that will validate you in the way that you're
1: looking. What you're looking for is to give yourself selflessly as gift. If you don't have that relationship with God what that then turns into is selfish control.
0: Yes. That's the distorted version of gift love. So we just talked about the distorted version of need love. What's a non-distorted version? The saints. Think of this most simple recent example, Saint Teresa of Calcutta. That's a true gift love. She's not sitting here, I almost said (laughs) bitching and moaning (laughs) about her. I don't
1: think saints do that.
0: (laughs) She's not sitting there complaining constantly about these, these dying and destitute people that she's constantly serving.
1: Were they appreciating her yeah, enough? Yeah, were they she
0: appreciating her enough? She didn't care about that. Because she, her love has been so transformed into a supernatural love by the grace of God that she was able to give love purely, altruistically, selflessly, charitably.
1: And what was happening, to put it in terms of the four loves from Lewis, is that agape love, that divine love, mm. went and permeated all of her other kinds of love.
0: I read someone who was discussing the four loves, so I don't know if this is an analogy that Lewis uses or this was an analogy this person came up with. If he did, he did a great job. But he's talking about the natural loves. These are the ones that are talked about in the four loves. Are a garden that need to be fenced, weeded, pruned, mowed, etc. in order to stop it from becoming a wilderness. Here's what he says. God planted the garden and without him we will not have any love.
1: Pretty sure that's Lewis. It's
0: probably in Lewis. <laughs> you know what? I, I, too clever for someone to have just written an article about the four loves. The theme of vulnerability also jumped out to me in this chapter, mm-hmm. and the role it plays in not only our personal journey with other individuals, but our journey with God. Notice that she, at the end, let out her true desire that she needed her husband. But through the whole chapter, she's painting this picture of him needing her. She's afraid to admit that she needed her husband. Mm-hmm. How amazing could that marriage have been if she was just willing to communicate honestly? I love you. I want your love. I need you. And you know what? He probably would have responded in an incredibly beautiful way.
1: Absolutely. I'm just thinking about when he goes out with slinks away with his old friends. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's a little sad for a wife to say, I feel jealous when you go out with your old friends. Yeah. But at the same time, I find it hard to believe that the heart of a husband wouldn't immediately break and want to reassure his wife that... She is his number one. But unfortunately for our controlling ghost, we're told that she suddenly towers up like a dying candle flame and snapped suddenly. Yeah, that didn't make sense to me. I'm supposed to be leading this and I just figured you'll bring it home. (laughs) Well, Lewis says that a sour, dry smell lingered in the air for a moment and then there was no ghost to be seen. I actually just point back to the last chapter that we looked at. Remember I talked about the dehumanizing nature of sin? It makes us less human, not more human. Remember MacDonald talking about whether somebody is a grumbler or a grumble? Yeah. She has ceased to be a grumbler and become a grumble. There's nothing of her left. So There's nothing that the spirit can even redeem. It's almost like
0: when a ghost is there, the presence of the ghost is the part that can still be redeemed. It's as much as it's not nearly as tangible as a spirit. Mm -hmm. It's still something. She lost something. She has nothing now.
1: Yeah.
0: Ah, good one, David.
1: (laughs) And one thing I just kind of want to point out here, comparing this to Dante's Inferno. In Dante's Inferno, we hear about all of the great sinners of history and their great sins. (laughs) You know, you have traitors, murderers, but in The Great Divorce, that's not what we see. We see something subtler, smaller sins. We see a grumbler, a controlling wife. I think that the point that Lewis is trying to make here is that damnation doesn't require great wickedness. I'm going to say it again, just the soul turned in on itself when it's turned in on itself. And it can do that through very small movements over time. It's heavenly and hellish creatures again.
0: So this will be more relatable for the Catholics, but non Catholics will get this because confessing your sins in general is a very important part, but in particular for Catholics going to confession is for the gravest of sins because it it destroys it, it a part of ourselves is our relationship with God is destroyed and we need to mend that and bring that back in alignment. People, I, I try to go pretty frequently, and people ask me. They think I said, "Why are you going?
1: What are you doing here so frequently?" I just tell them that you're a sinner.
0: <laughs> but it, it people do kind of raise their eyebrows, like, "Isn't that just for the worst kinds of sins? Are you going and doing some pretty bad stuff?" And the short answer is, Lewis has really opened my eyes. To what is the big sins? Lewis talks about the fleshly sins not actually being as big of a deal as the sins of the spirit. A lot of these are about sins of the spirit. Controlling, grumbling, negativity, gossip. Pride. Pride. That's what gets me going back so frequently. I now recognize that a lot more in my life. I, see, I, I find myself, you know what? I really spoke negatively about that person. Or I was in a conversation and someone was speak, Gossip tends to be a big one.
1: Someone was speaking. You told me that yesterday when you were telling me about John and what he's been doing. <laughs>
0: John listens to this frequently, so he's going to be thinking you're serious. John, he's not. But, but that's, this is really helpful for us to all realize that. And that's why I said even if you're non-Catholic, we all need to be confessing our sins to God and asking for forgiveness. And we tend to focus on the quote-unquote tangible ones, fleshly sins, ones that we can see and understand more. But what about the ones in our hearts? What about the ones the way we look at other people? What about the ones we judge people? We should finish, though, with a really beautiful quote. Love, having become a god, becomes a demon. Think about that. That summarizes the chapter really well. (laughs) Love, having become a god, becomes a demon. If you love certain things to the point where they become gods, they become demons.
1: It's back to this idea, rightly ordered love. You love the creator first, then the creatures, and in appropriate order. Yes. Well, not that I want to steal the thunder, but I actually also had a quote that I wanted to share. (laughs) (laughs) It's also from The Four Loves, and it's where Lewis is describing a very similar kind of character to the ghost that we met today. He says, I'm thinking of Mrs. Fidget, who died a few months ago. It is really astonishing how her family have brightened up. The drawn look has gone from her husband's face. He begins to be able to laugh. The younger boy, whom i had always thought to be an embittered, peevish little creature, turns out to be quite human. The girl, who was always supposed to be delicate, now has riding lessons. Mrs. Fidget very often said that she lived for her family. <laughs> and it was not untrue. Everyone in the neighbourhood knew it. She lives for her family, they would say. What a wife and mother. She did all the washing, true, she did it badly. (laughs) And they could have afforded to send out to a laundry, and they frequently begged her to do it. But she did it. There was always a hot lunch for anyone who was at home. They implored her not to provide this. They protested almost with tears in their eyes. It made no difference. She was living for her family. She always sat up to welcome you home if you were out late at night. Two or three in the morning, it made no odds. You would always find the frail, pale, weary face awaiting you like a silent accusation. Which meant, of course, that you couldn't with any decency go out very often. The vicar said Mrs. Fidget is now at rest. Let us hope she is. What is quite certain is that her family are. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's do the haikus of the week. I've just got two. They're both for the controlling ghost. Manipulation. Tyranny dressed up as love, frustration as care. And the second one is the henpecked husband, controlled, manipulated, puppet on a string.
0: I like them both. My favorite sentence is tyranny dressed up as love. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. So, as usual, please feel free to contact us through restlesspilgrim.net, pintswithjack.com, on our Twitter or Instagram, or through our YouTube comments. At Pints with Jack is the handle.
1: Please share the Instagram videos with your friends.
0: And get ready for our new YouTube videos that are going to come out soon. We, it's, we're it's we going to call him David Unleashed.
1: <laughs> we are not going to call that. <laughs> we will come up that. with a better name. <laughs> but until then, further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers.